Welcome to Parkview. Welcome if you're watching on the internet. Welcome if you're watching at 545 because I'm on a plane to the Holy Land flapping my wings right now. Um, leaving at 4 o'clock today. So uh, I uh, appreciate your prayers for that. Yeah, 55 people. I don't know why you're clapping. I get to go and you don't. I mean... It's awesome. I hope you'll. We'll do it again. I, you know, I mean, I know. I'd love to take you again. We got 55 people going. Really excited about it. Uh, and we're leaving today, so 5:45. I say, welcome to you. And uh, internet, just glad to have you here. I want to start by just talking about Oklahoma a little bit. I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma. Spent more than my fair share in the bathroom. My parents are down there. I keep looking down at them. Mom would make us get in the bathroom, you know, uh, if we didn't have a shelter. In early days in Oklahoma, we had a shelter, a neighbor's shelter. I remember being in there, listening to the storm. It's a, it's a scary deal. I mean, I don't know why people live there. I don't live there anymore. It's a scary deal. Um, and, uh, and, and we need to pray for them because, there's, you know, the devastation is pretty extreme. I want to tell you that... Um, uh, we're going to do the dollar thing again, like we did at Easter. Every once in a while, we just we're just going to we're just going to give a dollar for person who's here, and we're going to give it to these organizations, these churches that we're already working with there. So if you want to throw a dollar in the offering when it comes by, you're welcome to do that. It doesn't matter. We're going to cover you one way or the other. And if you want to give more than that on our website, we've got ties into organizations that are helping with that. I just want to start by praying. Can we just do that, Lord God? I pray for your Spirit to be on this place uh, today. And I pray for your spirit to descend. I know it's uh, the first weekend and a lot of churches are together and, and some of the churches are, are blown up, but the churches are together and they're, they're trying to comfort those who've lost loved ones and they're trying to worship. And, and the thing that happens in this, Lord, I get the question, how, how could God, how, 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 why God is what I get the question on this a lot. And uh, my response is usually, how could people deal with not having God when they go through these things? You didn't set up this earth to have tornadoes and, and these tragedies, and we know they go on all around the world, Lord. Every once in a while, we just got to stop and acknowledge that uh, that, there, that this is there, and, and this is why we do what we do, because someday this mist of a life is going to be over, and we're going to be uh, moving on to another place, and I pray that they will take comfort in that, th those that have lost kids and um, loved ones that are, that are in you, and that we will just re remember that that's, uh, this world is just a, a tiny little piece of our eternity. Um, it's, it's, it's very graphic when we see that. Be with them and bless them and help us as we bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I, I do have to show the one, I have to show the one video because last week I talked about would our pets be in heaven and uh, I talked about why the answer is yes. Next question. But if you haven't seen the video, I know some of you probably didn't, most of you have, of the video of the woman who's being interviewed in Oklahoma and thinks her dog is dead in the rubble and all of a sudden he appears. You've got to see this. It's incredible. I just had to show that because it's so incredible. And if that would have been a cat, it just would have looked out and ran off. So <laughs> let's talk about a crazy little thing called love. This series that we're doing is going to be on relationships in general. Uh, some marriage stuff, yes. But listen, if you're single here today, we love you. We know that 90% of you single people are going to get married. 94% of singles say that they want to be married. So we need to talk about it all. And there'll be some, some parenting things and some other stuff that we're going to do along the way. But what we're going to give you uh, this week and then in two weeks when I'm back from the Holy Land uh, is the most important relationship stuff my wife and I
and I have ever learned, okay? And, and I really want you to be here and be a part of it. The in-between week is going to be Justin and Tricia Davis. Uh, they are they're pastors down in Nashville, and they're going to co-lead this thing together, and they've written this book called Beyond Ordinary, which is the story of how their ordinary marriage turned into tragedy, turned into an affair, how they survived this affair, and, and brought it back to the place where they're, uh, they're doing ministry again, and they're, and they're back, and they're doing, uh, they're doing marriage things. And so they're going to be here, team teaching next weekend. Really, really good stuff. Great book. And I hope that you'll be here for that. Um, so then I'll come back. I'll finish up what we're doing here. And then we have Father's Day in three weeks, okay? I don't mean to give away Father's Day, but this might have something to do with it, okay? Uh, wear your camo. That's all I'm telling you. If you don't understand Father's Day around here, I mean, Easter and Christmas make, make sense, but Father's Day is like the third biggest day in our calendar because we pull out all the stops for our dads, and I hope that you'll be here. I was supposed to go to West Monroe, Louisiana this week and actually interview the Duck Dynasty guys, and that got canned, and so hopefully when I get back from, from uh, my trip, I'm going to get a chance to get them on interview, and so part of that will be some of that and obviously some of the other stuff going along. So I'm announcing you have from now until Father's Day to grow the world's ugliest beard. We're having a contest. Every service, there will be a gift certificate to Smokey Bark, my friend's restaurant down in Frankfurt. You're going to have an ugly beard. I've got a head start on you, so you just decide what you got to do. Some of you got a head start on me. Um, whatever, okay? We're going to have fun Father's Day. You do not want to miss it. My son-in-law is leading worship. And, uh, and uh, my other son-in-law is going to be on the worship team, so there'll be a guy with an accent and, and a guy that can sing, so that'll be working out kind of good together. It's going to be a great, great time. I hope you'll be here. Um, they all lived happily ever after is the problem. Does anybody believe that? Because to me, whenever I would hear a, 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 a fairy tale, you know, whenever we'd watch a Disney movie or we'd read a book, you hear that, and they all lived happily ever after, and I always thought that was the dumbest part of any fairy tale, honestly. I mean, I can believe in wooden puppets that come to life. I can believe in, you know, poison apples that are foiled by a kiss. I can believe in a land where little boys don't grow up and there are crocodiles that sound like alarm clocks and pirates. I can believe all of that stuff before I would ever believe they all lived happily ever after. And if you talk to my girls, my, Becca, my youngest is here. She's going to Israel with us. If you talk to my girls, they would tell you that every time, every time we would watch a Disney movie or we would read one of these fairy tale books and we would get to the end and it would say, and they all lived happily ever after. Every time their mother would say, because they worked really hard on their marriage. And I know my girls probably thought, uh-oh, dad's in the doghouse again every time, you know? Like, they all lived happily ever after. My parents live happily never after. I don't know what they thought. But the truth is, happily ever after is a bunch of malarkey unless you work on it. And where I come from, there's a saying about marriage. Marriage is like a screen door. It's like the flies on a screen door. Those on the inside are wanting to get out, and those on the outside are wanting to get in. You know what I'm saying? You ever watch the screen door? That, that's what marriage is like a lot, unless you work on it. And I will tell you that being married is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Harder than public speaking, harder than jumping out of a plane, harder than building a church, vasectomy, root canal. I mean, you name it. It does not matter. <laughs> marriage is number one. And the only way that it works is if you work really hard. That's the, that's the news for you today. And if I'm saying that, imagine what my wife would say if, if she was standing here. But I have found, ladies and gentlemen, that you can have a balanced marriage. 
You just have to work on it a little bit. <clears throat> Honey, could you sit, stand on that side for just a little while? Let me, let me start off by uh, um, just giving you some of the myths that are the problems. Because when we bring stinking thinking in, it impacts our behavior. And I wanna, I'm going to talk about the, the biggest one in a, in a minute, and we'll finish up on it in a couple of weeks. But the biggest myth, I, there are a bunch of myths that we have that, that come into our marriage and they mess things up. And, and I think probably the biggest one is, number one, everything will get better in time. We, we somehow think that, you know, if I just give this enough time, everything's going to get better. I need to remind you of the second law of thermodynamics, okay? Especially the entropy part of thermodynamics, which basically says that every system left to itself will deteriorate. Or as the old bumper sticker used to say, stuff happens, right? I would say the biblical version of that is decay happens because it's true. Every system left to itself will deteriorate. And we know this even from the Bible because the Bible talks about it. It says the creation will itself one day be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Someday we look forward to decay not happening anymore. But for right now it is. This is why your house does not get more clean accidentally. Right? This is why the power window on my 12-year-old Ford went out in the rain, in the down position this week. It's why my Ford is in the shop instead of the Chicago Motor Speedway. It didn't just magically turn into a Formula One race car. Okay? Because decay happens. And your marriage is going to decay unless you do something about it. Now, old cars are cool if you do what? If you restore them, if you make them cool, they're really, really awesome. I've got to tell you, my marriage is way better than it ever has been. But it's not by accident. It didn't happen with time, just by accident. Okay? The good news is your bumper sticker can read, My marriage is happy, happy, happy. If you work at it. Number two, marriage will solve all my problems. All right, this is the Cinderella myth, right? I love the story of Cinderella. You know, boy meets girl, fall in love at the ball. She, you know, gets lost. He finds her again. They get married. They move to the suburbs, have 2.7 kids, and drive an SUV or a Prius, depending on your environmental view, okay? That, that's the story. And we, and we get to the end of that, and we say, and they all live happily ever after. And we know it's a fairy tale, but do we? I mean, really? I mean, have you thought about the fact that they never made Cinderella Part 2? Does anybody ever think about the fact that Cinderella has a couple of emotional problems going into this marriage from her absentee father and her psycho stepmom? She talks to animals. She marries a prince who has had the world revolve around him all of his life. This is what the reality of Cinderella looks like, ladies and gentlemen. That's it right there. Make it a double, okay? Psychiatrist John Levy says, most of the problems that arise in marriage are not because marriage is worse than the rest of real life. It's because it's not incomparably better. Somehow we think that it, when I just get married, my problems are going to be better because that's all I needed was this relationship. 
The classic story of our day, fairy tale weddings gone wrong, Prince Charles and Lady Diana, right? How many of you got up at 4 o'clock in the morning to watch that wedding, right? Remember that? Uh, and obviously didn't turn out too well. But you know what was interesting about it? Is that the Archbishop of Canterbury, who did the ceremony, he quoted this at, at the wedding for Prince Charles and Lady Di. He said, here is the stuff of which fairy tales are made. The prince and the princess on their wedding day. But fairy tales usually end at this point with the simple phrase, and they all lived happily ever after. This may be because fairy tales regard marriage as the anticlimax after the romance of courtship. But this is not the Christian view. Our faith sees the wedding day not as a place of arrival, but as a place where the adventure begins. It's too bad they didn't figure that out, isn't it? Myth number three. Myth number three is my spouse will complete me. My spouse will complete me. This is the Jerry Maguire myth, okay? That's the, the code name for this, right? You complete me. Th th this is the problem with this. Psychologist Les Parrott says, if you try to build intimacy with another person before you have done the hard work of getting whole on your own, all of your relationships are an attempt to complete yourself and they will fall disappointingly flat. Single people, this may be the most important thing I'm telling you right now. You need to understand the rest of the stuff I'm going to talk about, but right now it's really important that you get whole and that it's you and God. Okay, you need to understand the great news of Jesus today is that He can complete you. Whether you have a mate or not, that, that you have a hole in your heart and it's not for a guy, it's not for a girl, it's for Jesus Christ. And the most common cause of broken relationships, I believe, is spiritual emptiness. I thought this was going to fill this void, but it's not. That's why, you know, we read this passage where Jesus says we're not going to be married in heaven. It says when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And you read that passage and you're like, if you've got a good marriage like me, you're like, man, that's kind of a bummer. I, I like my marriage. I worked really hard on it. I, I, I don't get that. But, but again, what, what does that mean? It means that we have a hamburger existence here, if I could borrow one from last week. We have a hamburger existence here, and someday we're going to have a filet mignon. And we're going to understand what fulfillment is really all about. And we're still going to know our spouse, and I believe we'll still have a special relationship. But that hole that even sometimes they fill in our life is going to be completely taken care of by God. Myth number four is that they are just like me. That, that woman is just like me, you know, my fair lady. Why can't a woman be more like a man? I mean, this is the problem. And the myth is we come into our relationships and we don't understand this. For example, let me just put this sentence up on the board. This is a psychological test, okay? Woman without her man is nothing, all right? You put the punctuation marks in. Just give it a second. You put the commas or the comma. You put it wherever you think it ought to be. All right? Now, psychologists do this test. Overwhelmingly, most of the women put the commas in this way. Woman, without her, man is nothing. Uh, okay. They're all very light, high-pitched claps right now. Okay, here's how, the guys, here's how the guys would do it. They would do it this way. Woman, without her, man is nothing. Yeah, well, let's have some heavier claps. Okay, that's what I'm talking about, right? 
That's just a problem where we see what's going on, but we don't realize it. It's a psychological test to prove the fact that we see things differently, we view things differently. It happens in every way. Biologically, we are different. And I'm not just talking about plumbing. I mean, biologically, our brains are different. They're talking, there, there are larger connections between the two hemispheres of the brain in women than there are in men. So what does that mean? That means they have better verbal ability. That's why they talk so much. (laughs) Conan O'Brien read that report on his show one night, and he said, I would just like to say to the authors of that study, duh. (laughs) Right? But men's brain, they're they're not connected. The, the, The two hemispheres are not connected as much, which gives them better abstract reasoning, which is why we can read maps. It's why we can check to see if the garage door's already up before we back out, okay? <laughs> see how these things work together? But if you don't get that, if you don't understand this, it, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tragic in your marriage. Jesus said, I did it this way on purpose. Haven't you read? At the, crea- at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. He made us this way. And He said, I'm, I want you to do this marriage thing. Leave your father and mother, be united your wife, and the two will be one flesh. The two come together, but they're different. That's how God made us. And Dr. Larry Crabb says, often the problem in marriages is that the failure to meet the emotional needs is simply due to the ignorance of each other about each other's emotional needs. Good news is, I think the key to that is found in the Bible. The Bible is always true. It's interesting that John Gottman and a bunch of writers have been writing about this in the last 10 or 20 years because what they're writing about is exactly what is found in the Bible. I'm in Ephesians 5. I'm going to camp out there for the rest of this time. Ephesians 5 tells us, it's the best marriage passage that there is, tells us how to be married together, explains to us how this whole thing works and how everything's supposed to happen. And it starts like this, verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. First thing that you need to do is be filled with the Spirit. And I just want to tell you right up front, if you need help with that, we will have people praying for you after the service is over right up front. We have a prayer room outside of here. If you do not know if you even have the Spirit, we're going to have an opportunity for you during communion to invite the Spirit into your life. But, but Paul says it, the place that this starts is being filled with the Spirit. And then he gives us examples of what it would look like to be filled with the Spirit. He goes through several different examples until he gets down to verse 21, which is the epitome of what being filled with the Spirit looks like in your relationships. So if you're filled with the Spirit, you should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This isn't about the woman submitting to the man or the man submitting to the woman. It's about mutual submission. It's what we're supposed to do. And verse 18 and verse 21 are the keys to both of them. If God is leading you and your marriage, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Even if they're not perfect, even if they aren't submitting to God, it doesn't matter. I'm going to submit to God because that's what's going to happen. And this is the answer to the problem, the essential problem in all relationships. And you know what that is? It's the reason why oysters don't give anything to charity. Because they're shellfish. something for you to tweet. Uh, I'm shellfish. You're shellfish. We're all shellfish. All right? I mean, I know that's true. So you need that background of this passage, one of the most important marriage passages in the Bible, when you get into understanding what each other's emotional needs are, because it's going to blow your mind if you've never heard this before. Here it is. Verse 33 of Ephesians 5. However, each one of you men must love his wife as he loves himself 
And the wife must respect her husband. What did that just say? That just said, if you read it correctly, that the primary need of a woman is love, but the primary need of a man is not love. I mean, obviously there's a mutual submission thing here, but are you a little bit confused, ladies? Are you a little bit confused? Guys, wait a minute, I thought we were supposed to love each other. What is this respect? There's, there's no command, ladies, there's no command in the Bible anywhere for you to love your husband. If you walked in here today feeling like, you know what, I don't really love this guy. I don't care. You're good. You're fine. Matter of fact, you could turn to your man right now and say, Tim says, I don't have to love you. <laughs> and I don't have to love you. We could rewrite songs. You could do whatever you want to because men, they, 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 what they need is not love, it is respect. Why would God say this? Because He made us and He knows how we work. And all the guys right now are going... I am so glad I came to this sermon today. <laughs> right? Am I right? I mean, guys, forget about Mars and Venus. This is different galaxies. Do you understand that? This is men are from the Milky Way and women are from... I don't know the name of any other galaxies. <laughs> Which kind of sums up my whole understanding of women in a nutshell. Okay? We are so completely different, it's not even funny. Shanti Feldhan is a woman, Harvard-trained statistician, and she did a whole book on this. It was really phenomenal for women only. And she did a survey. She did hundreds of men, and she asked them two questions. If you had to choose two bad alternatives between being alone and unloved for the rest of your life or disrespected and inadequate for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Alone and unloved or disrespected and inadequate? 74% of the men said, I would choose to be alone and unloved over disrespected and inadequate. 74% of the men. And you women are like, are you kidding me? Love is everything. To be alone and unloved is worse than being disrespected? Yes, it is. Now here's the bigger problem, okay? This is really important. We talk about unconditional love all the time, don't we? I mean, we know agape, right? Well, unconditional love. So let's have unconditional love. And what do we say about respect? Well, respect has to be earned. Who made that up? That's not in the Bible, people. You understand this, right? Respect isn't supposed to be earned any more than love is supposed to be earned. We're supposed to give. It's a grace gift that we give, just like God gave it to us. Guys say, well, I don't feel like I, I, I love this woman. Well, I don't care. Do you love God? then you love his daughter. Women say, well, I don't feel like I respect this man. I don't care. Do you respect God? Then you respect his son. Do you understand this? You submit to God, you submit to his son, and then you submit to them. Now, I have to stop and say, I mean, I'm going to have this discussion a hundred times. I know that maybe there are situations that you're in of abuse. Okay? This is not what we're talking about. Listen, I've I, I preached this before, but turn the other cheek does not mean you let somebody abuse you. And we would love to help you. Please talk to us. We want to help you in those situations. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 99, 98% of the cases of you people who are in here. You need to respect Him because you respect God. You need to love her because you love God. A lot of this is based on this book, Love and Respect, by Dr. Emerson Egrich. Uh, I think... It's the best marriage book out there. 
biblical. He's a pastor. Uh, it's phenomenal. We give it to every married couple. We made our two kids read it before they got married. We'll make Becca do it too. It's the best thing out there on this. Okay, And, and, and I'm going to talk you through some of the steps in two weeks, so you've got to be back in two weeks. But, but let me just describe the problem today, all right? And I'll give you one little piece of advice at the end. Here's the problem. It's what Dr. Egerich calls the crazy cycle. It's the crazy cycle. It goes like this. He reacts. Usually he's just dumb. Okay? He reacts without love. Maybe he maybe he maybe he's doing it on purpose, but usually he's just dumb. All right? And then she reacts without respect. And all of a sudden, you end up in the crazy cycle, and you don't even realize it, okay? He does something dumb, so she reacts by doing what? The number one thing that makes guys feel disrespected? Nagging. Who loves me now, boys? Hmm? Am I right or am I right? The number one thing. I know, ladies, I know you're not nagging. You're just awakening him to his flaws. I get that, okay? <laughs> really good. And, and, and there are ways for you to do that. But, but, but nagging is not it. So your number one need is love. And he does something dumb or he does something on purpose. I'm not giving him more credit. And, and you come back with nagging. And it absolutely shreds him. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't. There are good communication skills to help each other in things that we need to do. But this is what starts the crazy cycle. And this respect thing, if you think about it, I mean, what do we make jokes about with guys? That they don't want to stop and ask for directions, right? No guy wants to stop and ask for directions. Why is that? Because of respect. Because I know where I'm going. And even if I don't know where I'm going, I'm going to act like I know where I'm going. So don't bother me, woman. Right? I mean, I'm not going to read the instruction book. I can figure this out. It'll take me twice as long and I'll do it wrong and have to redo it, but I'm not reading the instruction book because I need to feel that way. This is who guys are. So you nag him and something slowly dies in you and he has two alternatives to come back on. He will either be nasty to you and fight back or he will do what a lot of guys do and he'll just clam up and stonewall and, and be silent. And you're in the cycle. You know, I mean, the number eight song all time on Billboard's charts is Aretha Franklin's R-E-S-P-E-C-T. We all learn to spell that way, right? R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. Became the, the song of the women's movement. And it was great because women needed to figure out how to come into society and be equal with men and all those wonderful things. But do you, you know something interesting about that song? It was not written by Aretha Franklin. It was written by a man. Yeah, it was written by Otis Redding. After a fight with his girlfriend, he wrote, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. And evidently she didn't, because his next song was sitting on the dock of the bay. <laughs> Just saying, pretty obvious. So they were in the crazy cycle. Somebody criticizes, somebody stonewalls, and the more she criticizes, the more he stonewalls, and the more he stonewalls, the more she criticizes. Does this sound familiar to everyone? It's the crazy cycle, and it just gets worse as you keep going around the cycle. You just get farther and farther away, you know? Centrifugal force. And you can have decades. You can have decades of dysfunctional, unhappy, crazy cycle marriage. And ladies, you might be thinking, well... I wonder how this works for us. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. 
Is your husband a workaholic? I mean, maybe he's a workaholic because he's a workaholic and he just has those tendencies. Maybe he's a workaholic because he goes to work and he's respected. And he feels respected there. When he comes home, he doesn't feel that way. Men right now are saying exactly how I feel. Guys, you want to know, why why does your wife, why would she rather be around her friends? Or why would she even rather be around the kids? Why? Because they make me feel loved more than you do. I mean, I don't, I don't want to stereotype, but this is a big problem with affairs. A lot of times I'll counsel with people that are going through affairs. And, and, and haven't you had this situation where you've looked at somebody who's had an affair and you're like, I don't know, get that, you know? And, you know, I mean, it wasn't like a you know, 22-year-old supermodel. I mean, I don't understand how this happened. A lot of times how it happened is he wasn't feeling respect and somebody made him feel respected. She wasn't feeling love and somebody made her feel loved. Dr. Eggers points it out with a great illustration. He says, it's, he says it's like this. He says it's like an air hose. If a husband is commanded to have unconditional love for his wife, then evidently she truly needs love. In fact, she needs love like she needs air to breathe. So picture, if you would, your wife, and, she's, and you're having an air hose that goes to her love tank, and when her husband steps on her air hose, this does not make her happy. If she had a baseball bat, she would whack him and tell him to get off of her air hose. Simply put, When her deepest need is being stepped on, you can expect her to react negatively. Dr. Egerich says, in counseling, I tell the husband that when he sees the spirit of his wife deflate, he is stepping on her air hose. She is crying out, I feel unloved by you right now. I can't believe you're doing this to me. He says, and your husband has a respect hose, just like he needs air to breathe. He also has an air hose that's going to a big tank labeled respect. And as long as the air is coming through, he's just fine. But when it gets stepped on... It gets worse. And what I hear all, all the time is, well, I only did what I did because, you, you know, you did what you did. And I only said what I said because you said what you said. And if you wouldn't have did what you did, I wouldn't have said what I said. What is that? That is the crazy cycle. And it ends up looking something like this. <laughs> In two weeks, we'll zero in on some of the logistics, but I just want to take you back to verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So husbands, love your wives. Agape love, unconditional love, like Jesus chose to love us. Matter of fact, he goes on and he describes it. He says, husbands, love your wives as, here's where it gets tricky, as Christ loved the church. You want to talk about submission? As Christ loved the church, we're getting ready to celebrate communion here. We're getting ready to commemorate the fact that Jesus gave up everything for us. Even when we were unlovable, He gave up everything for us. Women need love. How did God show love? He sent Jesus, Emmanuel. We do that at Christmas, right? He sent Jesus to be from His world down to our world. And if we want to show our wives love, we have to leave our world of our career and and whatever else we've got going on and our hobbies. And we've got to leave that world and we've got to come into their world. That's what we have to do. Our wives are not impressed by how much money we made or what our golf score was or or any of those things. They, They want to know that we care about them. What gets their attention is when we get interested in them and what's going on. And I know I can hear some of you men saying, well, wait a minute, I, 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 don't, I don't feel like loving her. And I know some of you ladies are like, I don't feel like loving him. Wouldn't my loving him or respecting him, wouldn't my loving her, wouldn't, that, wouldn't I be a hypocrite if I did that? 
No, you wouldn't be a hypocrite. You'd be obedient. I mean, do you ever do things you don't want to do because you know you should? I mean, what do you do when the alarm clock goes off in the morning? If you don't give up, if you don't get up, you live with your mom. I understand. <laughs> Life is full of stuff that we don't like to do that we do because we know it's good. Here's my question. Who is going to break the cycle? Maybe you feel like, you know what, I'm not doing it. I've been break, I've, I've been, you know, I've been first. I'm not going first. I've been going first a lot. And you hurt me more, and I know it's not going to make any difference if I do this anyway. I'm not going first. Well, you know what? That's why the Bible is profoundly different than anything you're going to hear on Dr. Phil. Okay? I just want you to know this. Or Oprah, or, or anybody else. Dr. Phil has a saying, this marriage needs a hero. I want to tell you something. The biblical truth is this marriage already has a hero, and it's Jesus Christ. Paul said, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I read this every time I do a wedding ceremony. This is not about marriage, but it's about not being shellfish, right? It's about looking to the other person and taking care of them. And then he says, well, you want to know how to do it? Well, your attitude, your thinking, ought to be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness and found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and not only came all the way from heaven to earth to be a man, but he was even obedient to death, even death on a cross. As we pass the trays in just a moment, we will commemorate that. And you want to talk about submission. Well, guess what? What that passage just told me is you don't have to go first because Jesus already went first. You could possibly only go second. Jesus already left heaven and came down to earth and became obedient to death and died on a cross for your wife, for your husband. So you're just going second. Every relationship does need a hero and it already has one and it doesn't have to be you. That's the good news. Let me go back. Let's just work our way back down to the beginning. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's about reverencing Christ, not about whether they deserve it. And then how do we do it? How do we do it? We're filled with the Spirit. It's not about your power. It's about His power. We talk about that all the time around here. You can't be good. You can't pray. You can't read the Bible. You can't do anything without the Spirit of God. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, then ask the Spirit to come in during communion right now. Because that's the only way this is going to work. And if you are a Christian, you do have the power to love that person that's not lovable. And you do have the power to respect that person that's not respectable. And it will be amazing to you what will happen if you allow that to happen. Great story. Tom Anderson, a nationally syndicated columnist, he wrote about how his marriage was in trouble and, and things weren't going well. And they were talking about splitting up and they were going on their family vacation and they, they always rented a beach house every year. And they were on their way to the beach house and, and it was late at night and the kids were asleep and his wife was asleep and he was trying to stay awake. So he was flipping through the radio stations, just trying to, you know, trying to stay awake. And he hit upon a radio preacher who was preaching on Ephesians 5. And he was just really going off on, guys, you need to love your wives like Christ loved the church. Tom Anderson was a Christian, but he wasn't really practicing it very much at this point. And he thought, you know what, that's really interesting. 
I wonder what would happen if I tried loving my wife like Jesus loved the church. So that vacation, he just decided to change the way he did things. And he started loving and valuing his wife. And he talked to his wife about stuff that he didn't usually talk about. And he helped her in ways that he didn't usually help her. And they took walks on the beach at night instead of catching up on Sports Center in front of the TV. And he did all those things. And he said it wasn't easy, but he said it wasn't as hard as I thought either because something was different on the inside of me, which I believe was the Spirit of God. The vacation was over, he kept doing it. He valued her, he loved her, he cherished her. And in a few weeks, their relationship just started to blossom and they were feeling closer than ever. And he couldn't believe how things had transformed from where he was to where they were right now. One morning he got up and his wife was sitting on the edge of her bed with her head in her hands and she was crying. And he said, honey, what's wrong? And she said, that doctor appointment I had before we went on vacation, that that physical? He said, yeah, it was a routine physical. Everything was fine. She said, seriously, do you know something I don't know? He said, what? She said, Tom, you've been so good to me for the last four weeks. Am I dying? He smiled at her and he said, no, honey, you're not dying. I'm just learning how to live. May the one who went first and lived and died for us and then gave us His Spirit so that we could be free, may He break the cycle, the crazy cycle, and may you and I learn to live. Let's pray. Lord, there may be people in this room who hear the sermon, they don't have Your Spirit, and they... They know they need help now because I don't know how you do it without the Spirit of God. It's really hard to love somebody that we don't feel like loving. It's hard to respect somebody that we don't feel like respecting. It's hard to do a lot of things in, in this world, but we can't do much without your Spirit. So I pray that your Spirit would come into this place like I know that the Holy Spirit is, and I pray that, that you would be with people's hearts as they open up to allow the Spirit to come in. Just to ask right now, Spirit, I, I, the Spirit of Jesus, I want you to be in my life. I need you to come in. I need you to come into my marriage. Jesus, I need you to be in my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Let this communion time be a sacrament of acceptance for these people as they get ready to start a journey with, with Jesus that's going to affect every aspect of their life, but none more than the relationship with the people in their own home. And I pray for the rest of us that we will realize that you went first, and that's why we celebrate communion here every week, because you went first, and the only thing we can possibly do is respond by submitting to you and submitting to others out of reverence for you. So be with us as we commune now. In Jesus' name we pray.